right, have a seat. Good morning. How you doing? Good. You look great. Good to see people here. Looks like our numbers on campus are growing every Sunday, so that's good. We're doing our part to try to keep you safe, uh, but also grateful for those checking us out online, and uh, we're, we're doing both, right? So appreciate our worship band for leading us in worship. They always do a great job. And uh, Hannah and Pearson stepping up today. Uh, Michael Glenn is off today, but... Uh, Appreciate these guys. They, they do a fantastic job. They're fun to work with, very talented, use their gifts for the Lord. Um, so I'll just have a question for you. Uh, have you ever had a bad day? Okay, two people have had bad days. The rest, this is not going to apply to you then. You might as well go home, right? No, we all have, right? It seems like we've had a, a series of bad days maybe over recent months. And so I was just thinking through this because um, that's reality. Bad days, good days, usually they happen on the same day. So I jotted down some thoughts that maybe are indicators you're having a bad day. Okay? You know it's a bad day when you call poison control and they put you on hold. Parents, ever been there? Okay. You know it's a bad day when you see a Fox News team waiting in your office. These were funnier in rehearsal. Uh, when your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. Yesterday we celebrated Kathleen Green's 100-year birthday, right? We had a little church parade, and yeah, way to go, Kathleen. Good, good. So whatever she's doing, you need to do that. Um, she looked great. Uh, when your twin sister forgets your birthday, you know it's a bad day. This may be more real than humorous, but when your income tax check bounces. Come on, you've had that thought. When you put both contact lenses in the same eye. Don't see double. When your car horn gets stuck and you're driving behind a motorcycle gang. Or Christopher Cass. <laughs> it's not pretty. Um, so we all face bad days, right? We, we wake up and don't know what's happening and not expected, but things just fall apart. I mean, what was it, March 13th, we all woke up, seemed like a normal day, and then boom, the whole world changes. So that's just life. That's the, not to that extreme always, but life is that way. What you thought and planned and hoped and prepared for may not actually happen. And so we have good days, we have bad days, but how do we respond when we have a bad day? One of the things that comes natural as we get discouraged. We had all this stuff planned out. We prepared, we talked, we've, we've got it all supported, and now everything changes. What we thought was going to happen doesn't happen. We've seen that the pandemic, right? We take like five steps forward. All right, good, things are changing, and then they, they pull us back three steps. So it's easy, and it's easy for us during this time to get discouraged, even church people, even people who follow God. It's easy to get discouraged because we just don't know what's going on. And we plan and speculate and prepare, but then it can change in an instant. Well, you do that enough times, it just wears you down. It's like, well, I might as well just not do anything because nothing seems to be working. And so it's okay to admit that maybe you're in that state. Some of us are today. In fact, just think of this from a, a worldwide perspective, but also a national perspective. It's been about 75 years since we've experienced a national life transition. And when you look back at your life, a lot of times in transition is where we fight that battle of becoming discouraged. Because, we, again, we think we have it planned out, but things begin to turn a different way. 
So I was reading a book, uh, Bruce Feelers, who has written a book called Life, in the, Life is in the Transitions, Navigating Change Through Different Ages. Because life is full of transitions, and transitions can be some of the toughest part of life. And so he calls these transition times life quakes, kind of like earthquakes, right? So life quakes. When the foundation you've been standing on begins to move or crumble, everything around you is shaking, and you try to make sense of all things. So he describes it in his book, three emotional responses that we go through in times of transition. And certainly that's what we're in now as a country and as a world. So the first one is the long goodbye. And that's when we begin to accept emotions like fear, sadness, or shame. And so we kind of look back to tributes. We pray tribute to things that have happened in our past that brought peace and joy. We look for a community, kind of a communal experience. This is how we express our grief, our fear over what's going on. The second one is the messy middle. And I think that's where we are in this pandemic. The messy middle, this is how he describes it. It requires us to shed old mindsets, delusions, and dreams to form new habits, norms, and skills. So again, some of the things we plan, some of the things we prepare for, some of the things we save for because of this pandemic, people have lost jobs, people have lost goals, people have lost dreams. And so if you stay in that state, it's very discouraging rather than start to think, well, maybe this is an opportunity to do something new. We talk about this from a church standpoint. It's like we've wiped the slate clean. And now it's time to rebuild for some of our lives. God has removed those things in our life that we found security in, maybe even above him, but that we look for and maybe gained identity from or security from, and those have been taken away. And that can be scary and that can be discouraging, or it can be an opportunity to look for something different. And this is the third phase, he says, we go through the new beginning. This is when a tinge of normalcy appears, right? Like, so businesses open up, restaurants open up, but you have to wear a mask. So it's a little bit normal we can go to a restaurant, but it's not the same as it used to be. The past no longer casts such a long shadow. The future begins to come in view. When you say things like, I used to be like that, but then I went through this experience, and now I'm like this. And so that's what we're looking forward to, the future, a new beginning. This has been a time to reor reorganize our priorities, to take a look at our lives and our family and our goals and our dreams and see what do I need to do now. So they were in that emotional state. And sometimes we don't handle it very well. Sometimes we freak out. Sometimes we get discouraged. Those are natural responses and emotions that go through a time that we're going through. We've seen it before, never to this magnitude, but anytime you've gone through a life transition, there's opportunity for these emotional responses. And so this morning I want us to look at a story that, of a woman who was going through a major life transition. She was actually going through a drought in faith because of a natural drought that she was experiencing. And then God gave her a command that did not make any sense. But the success for her and for this prophet who entered into her life was largely dependent upon her obedience to follow God's command. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 as we study this life, this woman's life quake what she was going through. Now, this is a story about the prophet Elijah encountering and having experience with a widow woman. Now, you kind of know the background, Elijah, prophet of God, he was the one that God said, you need to tell people that I'm gonna stop the rain. It's not gonna rain again until 
God tells Elijah to say it's going to rain again. So they're in a time of drought. We know what droughts are like in Texas. So they're in a time of drought, but God has provided for Elijah the prophet. He's led him near a brook that has water running through it. He sends ravens twice a day with bread and meat, which is way cool, right? This was the first DoorDash, maybe. So he's bringing food for this prophet through ravens, another miracle of God. And this is, now he tells him it's time to leave. The brook is dried up, and so he tells him, all right, now I need you to go here. And this is where we pick up the story. 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Okay, wow. So this is desperate times for this woman. She's in a a terrible state. Can you imagine as a mom saying, I'm going to go make a last meal for me and my son? I mean, just the point of desperation here, the point of fear in her life. She's tried everything she can. She sees no hope for the future. This is the state of her reality when God commands her basically to minister to this prophet. So in this essence, we see God commanding this widow to show grace to his prophet, Elijah. Commanded grace. Which again, doesn't make a lot of sense based on her circumstances. So we can look at this this story and see and be reminded that God has called us to take care of one another. We're to bear each other's burdens, to put others' needs before my own. In the, in the community of faith that we are to love on one another, which may mean sacrifice on my part to make sure that, that my family is taken care of, my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ are taken care of. So we have a responsibility to take care of one another. And Elijah needed this woman to obey God. He was going to be greatly impacted by her obedience or disobedience. So we see that so many times when we are called on by God to do something, it has great impact on the lives of others, not just for ourselves. And so God tells Elijah to go to Zarephath. This is, uh, this, the name of this town comes from a Hebrew word, which means to melt or to smelt like a, a precious metal, gold, silver, iron, whatever, something that you would melt down to a liquid form. And so the Hebrew word has a, this connotation of a crucible. Now, crucible is the instrument that you would put that metal in to melt. So the crucible will go through the fire, but it will not be destroyed. It will not liquefy like the metal inside will. So this town actually is becoming a crucible for the prophet of God as he enters into this experience. Now, what's interesting about this is he goes into this town because God led him to do it because he said, I have summoned a widow and she will provide for you. But when he gets there, this woman has no resources. He's traveled 100 miles. The brook that he lived by dried up, so that's a bummer, right? Now I want you to go 100 miles to Zarephath, and I'm going to provide for you, but when he gets there, there are no provisions. 
this crucible that he's in. The thing about crucibles is they create Christ-likeness. Right now, we're going through a worldwide fire. <laughs> and the truth about God is when he, ever, he allows us to go through something, he always redeems what he re- allows. So he is allowing you to go through this time, and, and all of us are kind of in that together, but he is redeeming this experience and will continue to redeem this experience. That's how we, can, we, we trust in God in this, that whatever he allows into our life, not, not, it's not caused by sin, but difficult experiences we go through, then it is for our good, which is really hard to say when you're in the middle of it. You gotta be kidding me. This is for me? I don't, I don't get that at all. So this is where Elijah is. And I think we have to be careful of grace killers. So here we have a commanded grace, but based on circumstances, Elijah could have been very discouraged because he knows God is a God of grace, but it doesn't look like he is in this moment. So he could be disappointed. He could decide just to give up when this widow has nothing to offer him. I think about when we decided to reopen our church, June 28th, right? We were excited. We had balloons. If you weren't here, you missed balloons, right? We had balloons at church. We were talking Easter too. Man, packed, maybe added extra services. Maybe we need six services like we would on Easter. It's going to be packed. How are we going to fit everybody in? What are we going to do? We had all that talk. And then like two days before, the governor says, all right, you got to wear a mask everywhere. Man, ah, you kidding me? All these big plans and dreams and hopes and goals that we were ready for you. So, yeah, okay. Which is cool. I get it. But it was disappointing. Life is like that so many times. That's what happened to Elijah. So, grace killers can be like a location. You're not where you want to be. Maybe you've had to transition, job took you a new place. You had to move to a place you're not familiar with, to an area, to a town, whatever, away from family, away from friends, to a, a new place. That can be a grace killer because you can really struggle. Well, why is God letting me do this? Why is this so difficult? Is this the right thing or the wrong thing? If it was the right thing, wouldn't it be easier? So we have to remember, don't let where you live determine whether you live because God is everywhere. (laughs) Sometimes he does lead us into the unknown and the unfamiliar is a part of his plan. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not his will. Usually the opposite is true. (laughs) When it's difficult, that's usually a sign this is God's will because it's something only he can do. Limited resources, unfavorable circumstances, negative comments, early perspectives, all these things can rob us of experiencing the grace of God or acknowledging the grace of God in our lives. So this woman is here. God has spoken to her, but she's gathering sticks, preparing for her last meal. Isaiah 41.10 reminds us of the grace of God. When the Bible says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at verse 13. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not get used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Sometimes God's 
grace is risky. He says, Elijah says, hey, carry out your plan. Go home and do that. But first, I mean, of all the nerve, <laughs> she just told him, this is it. We're going to eat this meal and then die. But he still says, that's great. I mean, do that. That sounds awesome. <laughs> great way to go out. But before you do it, I, I, I still need my bread, right? Okay. At that point, who do you listen to? For this woman, who does she listen to? Everybody around her is saying, hey, you might as well just have a nice last meal and then die because there's just no way out of this situation for you. There's no hope. We're in a drought. You can't go get a job. Things are hopeless. Your resources are gone. You might as well just die. Or does she listen to God who says, hey, I know you don't have anything right now, but I still need to give you to give the little bit that you do have to this guy who you don't know, who's not from here, not your family, not from your town, but I need you to give to him. So even in Elijah's words here, he's focused only on the possibilities. He's a glass half full kind of guy, right? He's looking at the possibilities. Why? I mean, because the dude had been fed by ravens. In a time of drought, God let, led him to water. He met his basic needs. So it's not a big leap for Elijah to say, hey, God provided for me. He's going to provide for you. I, I can tell you the story about the ravens. <laughs> I can show you. I can demonstrate. I experienced how God provides for our most basic of needs. He's no different for me than he is for you. He will provide for you. Just trust him. Carry on. See, Elijah could talk the talk because he walked the walk, right? He could say this because of his own experiences. You and I can encourage someone to believe, act on the improbable, because with God we have experienced the impossible. We have seen God move in our lives. We've seen God provide when there was no way. We've seen that God is still a God of miracles. He still performs miracles. So when we speak this into people's lives, we speak based on knowledge and experience because we know God. I think this is also a significant principle for us that we make sure that we have surrounded ourselves with people of faith. And we have relationships with all different kinds of people. We all have different concentric circles. But that inner circle needs to be people of faith. The people that influence you, they need to be people of faith, people that are living their faith. Because in those moments when we're discouraged, in those moments when we're out of rope, we're at the end, we don't see a way out, then they can step into our lives and say, there is a way out. Let me just tell you what God did in my life. And by that, we're encouraged. This widow needed Elijah to say those things. God provides people in your life to say exactly what you need to hear. We, the Holy Spirit speaks to us through his word, through circumstances, and he also uses other people to speak the truth of God into our lives. So we need to make sure that we have those people and that we are those people for others. We need people in our life who do not know the word impossible. Because this woman in the story basically had accepted the martyr complex. 
deny the martyr complex, which says, I'm just going to lay down and die. There is no hope. There is no way out. I'm just going to lay down and die. That's a temptation when we go through a struggle. That's a temptation for many people in our world right now because everything they held dear is gone. Everything that they had saved for their tomorrows is taken away, and they see no hope. They need to know that there is hope. So this woman, she chose not to listen to the message of the world, maybe not even the message of her own mind, but she listened to the prophet, and she went, as he instructed, and she did. She acted upon her faith. Faith requires action. She acted upon her faith. So here we see obedience in its simplest form. People's obedience and God's faithfulness oftentimes leads to a miracle. Did you know that God is still a God of miracles? He still works. He still performs miracles. He still is above all. He is all-powerful. He still works. And it takes a step of faith. It's a faithfulness in response to his miracles. Even when he says something that doesn't make sense to us, but in faith we respond. It is by grace that we have been saved. It's by grace we've been rescued through faith. It is a gift of God. God gives us his grace as a gift. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it, but it is a free gift for us. The key is we have to respond to it in faith to become Christ's followers, but every day we have our opportunity to respond to his grace. Look at verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So in dire circumstances, not making any kind of sense, she chose to be obedient, and out of that, God kept his promises. You also know God keeps his promises, right? He always keeps his promises. He is faithful even when we're not. The Bible tells us God has a plan for each one of our lives. There are times that we stray from that plan, let's be honest. There are times we put our plan in front of God's plan. It doesn't diminish the fact that God still has a plan for your life. Grace means you may have screwed up, you may have strayed the wrong way, but you can come back to him. His arms are always open. He always receives us. He will restore you, and you can get back on track. It is the enemy that tells you because of what you've done, God can never use you again. So just like this woman, you get to choose who you listen to. We, we've all made mistakes. We've all strayed. We've all put ourselves in front of God. We've all been our own God. But it doesn't take away the fact that God still has a plan for your life. It may require some sacrifice for you. It may require some forgiveness for you and from you. It may require some apologies. But God still has a plan. This woman went away and did what the prophet said. Gracious is as gracious does. Why was the oil so abundant? Because God constantly filled it. Every day, the oil and the flour were a reminder for this family that God is a God of miracles, that God does not abandon us. Even though the rest of the world may, God is faithful, even when we're not. So when you experience a life quake, much like this lady, a time of transition, a time when everything you thought was going to happen doesn't happen. It's important to remember you can trust God. He is trustworthy. 
He is worthy of your trust. Right? Amen, the people said. He is faithful even when you're not. His love is constant. He lavishly pours his love into our lives even when we don't acknowledge it. This is the God Elijah knew. This is the God that the woman is experiencing. So when you experience one of those life quakes, as many of us are right now, a couple things we can do in response to God's presence. First of all, we can redeem the present. We can begin to form new spiritual disciplines. Reformat how we communicate, commune with God, that we might develop new patterns, patterns of spiritual formation. I mean, let's be honest. Now, things are starting to, to return back. In my prayers, we don't become as busy in the future as we were in the past before this thing hit. I mean, honestly, God has given us a little downtime to some degree. And this is a great opportunity in this downtime. We could spend all our time in panic and discouragement, or we could draw closer to God. The first call of God in our life is always to him. And out of that relationship to him, then he begins to unfold what he has for us next. So new spiritual formation. One of the things that we can do in this weird time is we can share our faith with others. We can share the love of God with others. I mean, social media has gone rampant. I know there's a lot of negatives about it. But it's also an opportunity, internet, social media, whatever, to share your faith story to people all over the planet. We have an opportunity. We've had this opportunity, but we haven't acknowledged it to the fullest until recently that we have the opportunity to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. We have people in other countries joining us online for our worship services. A few months ago, we had a man who lives in Amarillo want to join our church. We have opportunity to share the gospel, the love of Christ, all over the globe now. And we can take advantage of that during this time. We can use this downtime to develop spiritual discipline, spiritual habits, prayer, Bible study, growing in, a, in our walk with Christ. Again, it's easy to just kind of sit there and be still and be isolated and not do anything, or we can take this time to do some things we know we've been needing to do for quite a while. and grow in our relationship to God. I hope that one of the things that we've understood through this experience is as a Christ follower, I have a responsibility to feed myself. A complaint sometimes against the church, well, I'm just not being fed there. And typically if you get into that person's life, they're, they're not feeding themselves, they rely on others to feed them, that's the disconnect. Yes, we have teachers and preachers and, and, and things that help help us to teach and show us and enlighten us, but we have a personal responsibility to be in the Word of God, to be feeding ourselves. If we're relying on others to feed us completely, then we're going to be malnourished. We're to spend time in the Word of God. We're to spend time in prayer. The second thing, after redeem the present, we can follow God into the future. He is moving into the future. <laughs> there is a future. We do have a future. We have a hope. He is redeeming all that he's allowing. God is doing some incredible things in our world. 
We just have to notice this, to seek God's guidance. We're getting new information, which provides a new opportunity to make new decisions. Maybe like this woman, you're just at the end. I don't see any way out of this. All my hope is gone. That maybe now today you've understood that there is a God who is a God of grace and he has a future for you. That's not based on what you can do, but it's based on what he has, the riches of heaven. And he wants to provide for us. So here's the challenge. God's leading is often surprising. Don't analyze it, just do it. When God speaks to you, you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have the map. He doesn't always give us that road map. He says, this is what I want you to do. Now do it. There's a great Chinese proverb that says, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago or today. If you'd planted it 10 years ago when you first thought about it, you'd have the shade of the tree now. But if you don't plant it today, 10 years from now, you're going to look back and say, I wish I had have done it then. The time to respond to the Lord when he calls us is now. Whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be, God is calling us now. And now's the time to respond. God's promises often hinge on obedience. Don't ignore it. He gives us the promise. We experience it when we obey it. Just like this woman did. She didn't ignore it. She responded and she received a miracle. God's provisions are often just enough. Don't fail to tell him thank you. I know there's probably a lot of things we want, which are not necessarily what we need. God didn't promise to provide what we want. He promised to provide what we need. Because sometimes what we want isn't really good for us. Sometimes what we want doesn't glorify him at all. But he promises to take care of our needs. We all have some needs, right? Some of those have been highlighted and magnified. First thing we need is him. We need God. And we need him to provide. He will provide. This widow and Elijah, they'd never met before. They didn't know each other. They had no idea that God was going to intersect their lives for something like this. What God is doing in your life, what he's leading, what he's saying to you right now may not be fulfilled till later down the road. You may not have no idea why he's telling me to do this right now. Just do it. Trust him. I mean, honestly, if we don't, we may miss out on a miracle. But I do know that he speaks. I do know that he's present. I do know that our God is a God of grace. He's forgiving, he's loving. It's pretty awesome. Maybe that's the first step for you. Maybe you have never really claimed Jesus as the leader and forgiver of your life. You've been listening to the voices of the world. You've been trying to do your own thing, follow your own way. You've been building your own life and you're realizing it's not working out. Even to the depths of my heart, to answer the question, why am I here? What's next? What's purpose? What's the purpose of life? Those deep questions are not being answered by the world. The one who has the answers is the one who made you. 
He'll tell you why you're here. And he'll guide you to fulfill that purpose. And even when you don't do it right, he's patient. (laughs) So maybe your first step is just to admit that you believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again for your sin. That you're ready to hand over control to God. Or maybe you are a Christ follower and you realize that this pandemic has knocked you off your feet. Man, you were going hard after God for so long, and then this thing hit, and it just shattered you. And you reverted back to some old ways, or you've been trying to figure things out on your own, rather than running to the one who, who loves you more than anybody. Today is the day. Plant the tree today. Or maybe you're just struggling with all this. Yeah, you believe in God and you know where you're going when you die. But honestly, right now, you're a mess. You're a hot mess. And you just need some love and encouragement. You just need somebody to come alongside you and say, I'm with you. Let somebody know. I hope that you have that inner circle of people of faith that can hold you accountable, that can encourage you, that will be there for you, even when you do stupid. They're still going to be there. Because that's the cool thing about God. A lot of times he speaks to us through other people. I hope you have those people, and I hope that you're one of those people for someone else. God's grace is amazing. And it's available. So I want to pray. Then our worship band is going to come back out and lead us. So you have an opportunity to respond to what the Lord has said to you through his word today. Again, maybe your first response is to give God control of your life. If you pray that prayer or something like it, then let us know so we can help you with what's next. And maybe you're a Christian. You say today, I got to admit, I haven't been living for the Lord. Even with this downtime, with all this opportunity to get back on track, I've wasted it. But I'm ready today to start. Something you need to do that God just said to you this morning, hey, it's time to do this. Do it today. Even if you don't have it all figured out. That's not a prerequisite. Today is the day for action. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you offer your gift of grace to each and every one of us, regardless of what we've done, of how much we've rejected you, of how much we didn't even think about you, of the mistakes we've made. It's not too late. Father, I think many of us can relate to one of these two characters in this story. Some of us are like Elijah right now. We're looking back, we're seeing your miracles, we're being reminded of how you've provided for us in the past, and it's given us energy and motivation to move into the future, to endure this pandemic. We haven't been afraid. We haven't been shaken. This this life quake, we've seen it as an opportunity. Thank you. But others of us, maybe more than we'd like to admit, are more like this widow.
We can't see any way out. All the things we thought were going to be lasting have been taken away. And we're just ready to die. God, I pray in in those hearts, in those minds, that you would just flood them with demonstrations of your grace. Maybe it's through someone else. Maybe it's a phone call, a text, a letter, FaceTime from someone they haven't seen in a long time, or maybe even a stranger that comes up and says, hey, I need you to know about the grace of our God. Father, we realize that there are a lot of people who are hurting, some of them in this room. And they just need to hear your voice in whatever format, but they need to hear your voice today. That you are with them and you will never leave them. And God, may we take this opportunity to share grace with those around us. Because of your grace, we have been made gracious. May we be gracious to one another, whatever it costs, that the world might know that you are real and that you are a rescuer. So God, through your Holy Spirit, give us freedom in these next few moments to respond to what you've said to us. Help us to trust. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.